You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. My dirty little secret is that most of what I do isn't grammar. I call myself Grammar Girl, but I answer questions that people ask, and most of them are actually usage, but usage girl doesn't have the same ring to it. <laughs> grammar guru Mignon Fogarty. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Do you know how hard it is to interview somebody who you know will be assessing and evaluating every sentence, every word that comes out of your mouth? I hadn't been this nervous since I interviewed William F. Buckley, but when I interviewed Mignon Fogarty, otherwise known as Grammar Girl, in 2009, she turned out to be much nicer than I had feared. When we talked about her podcast and her books, she was nothing but cordial and professional and forgiving. Since 2006, Mignon Fogarty has produced and hosted the Grammar Girl podcast. Now, who would have guessed that America was so enthralled by grammar? Indeed, it turns out that proper language usage is really important to a lot of people. And if you doubt me, just post something on social media that includes a mistake in grammar or language or usage and watch how many of your <clears throat> friends will correct you. So here now from 2009, Grammar Girl, Mignon Fogarty. This your second book? It is. It's my second book. The first one was Grammar Girl's Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Writing. Same name as the podcast. The New York Times bestselling book. That's right. Thanks for reminding me, actually. New York Times bestseller. I get to say that for the rest of my life, which is fantastic. Well, all right. Let me start with that. I mean, some of the reviews that I've read of both books seem to express some surprise. Wow. Americans like books about grammar. <laughs> I know. I was surprised, too, when I started the podcast and you know, it jumped into the top 100 in the first three weeks and has stayed there ever since. I was, I was equally surprised. And my, some of my family said, are you sure people don't think it's Glamour Girl? <laughs> but, you know, the, isn't, isn't family wonderful? <laughs> the support of the family. So, uh, yeah, but, you know, there are, are so many people who do care about language. It's, it's I, I, my listeners there, uh, copy editors and people who love language and always have, but also people who have to write more and more than they used to. If they write an email to their boss or they want to write a blog and, you know, they know people are reading their work and they just want to learn and do a better job because they know people are judging them on their writing. So it's a, it's a pretty diverse audience, actually. And it's not, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, when I listen to your podcast, I don't hear librarian types with the half glasses, you know, on the chain saying, why is it that people don't use the... Pre no, these are, these are like truck drivers, and these are, you know, clergymen, and these are real people. They are, and it's great. It's, it's wonderful to hear people say that, you know, I've helped them, uh, you know, write a better sermon, or, uh, you know, even just write a better monthly report at work, or pass a test at school. Uh, it's very rewarding. And for those who think it doesn't matter... And if I hear the phrase, but you knew what I meant one more time, I'm going to punch somebody. Uh, it really does. If you want to get ahead in your career, if you want to make your mark as a, as a blogger, you better be on top of the rules. It does. I mean, think of, in the past, you used to meet people in person or talk on the phone, and now you meet people in writing all the time. And so, you know, where it used to be dressed for success, now I think it's right for success because people are making their first opinions and lasting opinions about you based on just what they read that you've written. 
So this is a book that we read one page at a time, one day at a time? It is, but uh, it's funny. People have already started writing to apologize to me. This I know I'm supposed to read it one day at a time, but I already did all the puzzles. Or I I, I read the whole thing. (laughs) It's it's fine if you want to read it all at once, but it is formatted in a way that it's short tips. So if you want to read one a day and absorb that information and ponder it, you can. But uh, you're allowed to read it all the way through if you like. You don't need to apologize to me. (laughs) You broke the rules. You must return the book. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Go back and start at the beginning and do it again. (laughs) But, you know, I'm guessing that a lot of people, if if they have the discipline to do it one day at a time, and they'll kind of absorb that kind of knowledge on on a cruel basis, kind of accrual, not cruel, just make sure my enunciation is right, they're going to put it on the reference shelf, and they're going to come back to it, you know, for the next for how many years right and that's why actually it isn't a tip a day calendar because it could have been it's sort of the same format but I couldn't bear the idea of people tearing off the wonderful tip and throwing it away so you know you have that tip a day format to help you get through it slowly and absorb it and learn it but then it also has a wonderful index so you can keep it and use it as a reference book for you know the rest of your life or you know as long as you care about writing (laughs) now You've done a couple hundred podcasts, and, and I think you told somebody the other day that you pretty much run out of the big issues, you know, the effect versus affect and, and you know, and, and lie versus lay and things like that. Are you, will there come a point where you say, wow, I just can't help you people anymore? <laughs> well, I've wondered that, you know, as I've, I have struggled running out of all the, you know, big basic topics. But what I find is I have so many new listeners that have come in later, you know, they didn't start at one and go all the way through to 200 that I'm starting to revisit some of those basic topics again. How to use semicolons, which versus that. In, in honor of Halloween, I think we're doing which versus that, uh, witches uh, this week. So, um, you know, I rewrite them, I make them better, I add things based on questions people have asked over the years so I'm not you know I'm certainly not doing reruns but sort of revisiting some of the bigger topics and mixing that in with some newer interesting stuff too some of the more esoteric questions but you know people every day people ask me something that I haven't covered yet so um could I guess that there are probably fine shades of of distinction between punctuation which Lynn Truss has covered and grammar and just plain usage, I mean, choosing the right word. I mean, those things kind of overlap and blend a little bit, don't they? Right. So my, my dirty little secret is that most of what I do isn't grammar. I call myself grammar girl, but I answer questions that people ask, and most of them are actually usage. But usage girl doesn't have the same ring to it. <laughs> I don't think anyone will be searching for usage girl. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. Let me toss then one at you. Just this morning, I heard there was... Uh, soundbite from Hillary Clinton, our Secretary of State. She's visiting Pakistan, and somebody, a reporter asked her about uh, the uh, situation in Afghanistan, and she said, well, Al-Qaeda has taken the lead because they can blow up things. I would have said blow things up. I mean, is either more correct than the other? Well, let's see, blow things... Well, blow up is a phrasal verb, so to blow up is different from blow. It, does, it doesn't mean you know, poof into the sky. So it's a phrasal verb. So um, typically some people wouldn't split that. Some people would say it's wrong to split a verb. It's not an actual rule, but some people learned it was or prefer it as a style. So by saying blow up things, she's um, avoiding splitting that verb. But I think you're right that it sounds better to say blow things up. But some people, you know, wouldn't want to end a sentence with a preposition, up as a preposition. Um, Some people wouldn't want to split the verb. But often, you know, those things sound more 
natural in spoken language. And I was just going to say, I mean, nobody is going to say ending a preposition is something I, with which I will not put. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, it just sounds very awkward. So I'm wondering if a lot of what we, what end up being grammatical mistakes are simply conventions of the way we speak, and then when we write it down, it turns out not to be correct. Well, uh, th- the way language changes is it changes in spoken language first, mm-hmm. usually. it's a, Spoken language is a more informal um, environment to work in than writing. You can't edit what already came out of your mouth. And if, if you hang around someone who speaks um, informally, you're likely to pick up their bad habits, too. So the habits spread. Um, you know, all the valley girls who say like. <laughs> it spreads through the school. Um, so... Um, I, I do think you know it changes in language first, and then some of those things will eventually be accepted into formal language, and some of them won't, and people will fight about them as they're making the transition. A good example is starting a sentence with hopefully. You know, hopefully it won't rain tomorrow. Some people would say that that's an abomination. It's wrong. It's horrible. Um, you hear it all the time in spoken English, but it's much less accepted in written English, although it's becoming much more acceptable to start a sentence with hopefully. And I, I feel quite confident that in 50 years no one will argue about it and it will be standard English but it's going to go through that period where people fight about it and it's only acceptable in spoken language and you know it's it it travels through the language and things things do change if you look at language in the 1800s and what people fought about back then and you know the um there was a strenuous objection to the word lengthy uh, you know, and now we wouldn't think twice about saying, "Oh, it was a lengthy hospital stay" or something like that. Well, back then, people were up in arms about lengthy and said, "What's next? Strengthy?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> there are all these arguments that we look back on and and think they were ridiculous at the time. But uh, you know, so those I, I think in the future people will look back and uh, think some of the things we argue about are ridiculous too. After this short break, Mignon Fogarty reveals the secret pastime she really enjoys that most of us tried to avoid when we were in school. Now back to my 2009 interview with Grammar Girl Mignon Fogarty. What do you think about this convention that I see? It's not even, I shouldn't say a convention, this new thing that I see in print among well-known journalists in some cases where they want to emphasize a sentence by saying the period, best period, movie period, ever period. It just, it's a little unsettling to me. It is. I see that and I, I, I know what they mean. And there you, there's that, I know what they mean thing, but uh, they're trying to emphasize how they would say it. The best movie ever. But it's, it looks very informal to me when I see it. It looks kind of, not, not gimmicky, but almost gimmicky, I guess. Is there a difference between an individual writer's style, which may violate all kinds of rules, and violating rules? I mean, if I read James Elroy, I'm sorry, he's a brilliant writer, but he's going to violate all kinds of rules. But I know that he's violating the rules. Right. Uh, you know, the same thing with, uh, like, Herb Cain, with his three-dot journalism, right. using ellipses to separate sentences. I, mm, it, it's hard for me because I don't like it because it breaks rules. And it, I'm, a, I'm a rule girl at heart. But, I, you know, I, I feel like people like Herb Cain can get away with it. But I don't want to tell a high school senior that they can get away with it. And there I used a plural, a high school senior that he or she should get away with it. You know, I'm always self-correcting. But uh, I don't know. I I want to say it's okay, but I just can't. (laughs) Maybe maybe to paraphrase the great Lloyd Benson, you know, 
you, sir, are no Herb Cain. Yes, you, sir, are, you, high school senior, are no Herb Cain. <laughs> exactly, that's great. You may also be the only person I've ever known who publicly admitted enjoying diagramming a sentence. Oh, a, a lot of people who come to my book signings also publicly admit that they enjoy diagramming sentences. It's fun. It's it's like a game. I see the rules of grammar as, as a game. You know how some kids get really excited about Pokemon or the SimCity? It's all just based on rules. It's all just a different kind of game. And I think sentence diagramming is, is lots of fun. <laughs> I, I will leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it, there, there are certain people who enjoyed it. So, um, you know, and they don't teach it in schools anymore. But I've had people ask me, you know, where, where, where did you get the book? Where you, where you refreshed how to um, diagram sentences? And you know, there's very old school workbooks you can still buy on Amazon or somewhere like that. And do well, it. there does seem to be a kind of a, a kind of downsizing of our English education. To the point where all they're doing is, as they say now, teaching to the test so that they can pass the no child left behind thing. And that's all. And then everything else gets left behind. Grammar, I, don't, I, I can't recall the last time I've actually heard a school child use the word grammar. I know. I know they are teaching to the test. And I hear that that is a problem. Um, and, and there was a teacher in uh, New York who got, actually got in trouble for teaching the students grammar because it wasn't on the curriculum. And they had deviated from the curriculum. So that, you know, that breaks your heart. But... Um, I, you know, there are also teachers I know who do work it in, and it bothers them. Even if they're maybe a history teacher or a science teacher, it still bothers them when they get essays or lab notebooks with errors. And, and so they, they will correct it in the writing. And I think that the, I'm, I'm near 99% certain that there is actually a grammar section on the SAT now. And so I think people will start learning it again. And I know in it was either New Zealand or Australia there was a, a new initiative to teach grammar again in the schools. So it's sort of coming whole circle. They're sort of dropping whole language a little bit in the schools and getting back to the basics. It's a cyclical thing. So I'm glad to see that grammar is becoming more important. Well, if you had asked me this five years ago, I would have said, oh, nobody in America can talk at all anymore, judging by the comments that people leave on various blogs. But I have to confess to you, I've noticed just in the last maybe year or two, a noticeable improvement in the quality. Now, I don't know, maybe the blogs are being moderated better, or maybe people are finally catching on to what you were saying a moment ago, that now the only... The, the, the major means of communication is by the written word. Well, the nice thing about that we're all writing so much is you do get the schlock out there, but but also the people who are good writers now have new forums in which they can be discovered and write, and you can be recognized for being a good commenter on a popular blog now. I mean, you, you, you can really be noticed that way, so I think people are starting to take it more seriously, and it's allowing good writers to be recognized just in the same way that it's allowing bad writers to be recognized. <laughs> I'm guessing you probably have regular commenters, regular fans. I do, yeah. Regular people who comment on the blog, and I appreciate that they jump in and make comments and help help other people. It's great. You know, someone will, I can't answer every question, and so someone will ask a question in the comments, and, and other people, often the regular commenters, will jump in and help them and answer their questions, and I, I appreciate them very much that they do that. I remember years ago, Ann Landers, and I can't remember what the topic was, but she thought it was just going to be another innocuous little column she wrote and turned out to generate like tens of thousands of letters. Has there ever been anything that you wrote that you thought, okay, this is just another, just another nice little podcast and I'll move on, and you got 
tons of reaction to it? Well, the whole Grammar Girl podcast, it was, <laughs> it was my hobby to start with. Uh, the, you know, there, there hasn't been one particular um, episode that, that really has stood out from the others. I, guess, I was sort of surprised. I wrote one, um, How to Write a Good Blog Comment, actually. And that was surprisingly popular. I thought that it wouldn't be as popular because it wasn't about grammar. It was sort of more of a general topic. And, and that, that, was, that, that that was popular surprised me, but it wasn't a break. There isn't one or two that just jump out head and shoulders above the rest in popularity. Uh, I, I guess, again, judging by the individual comments that I see, certain people are exercised by certain things. I mean, it's exclamation points. Oh, those exclamation points are going to be the death of me yet. For others, it's a misplaced apostrophe. For some, it's the misplaced modifier. Everybody has a little pet peeve. Yeah, I find when I meet people out at book signings and things like that, everyone loves to tell me their particular pet peeve. When I do radio interviews, people will call in and say, the thing that really bothers me is X, Y, or Z. So uh, sometimes I don't even have to answer questions. I just stand there and say, I know, I know. <laughs> it's horrible, isn't it? <laughs> there is one, and I wish I could remember the name of the blog. All it is is photos of signs with incorrectly placed quotation marks. It's the blog of unnecessary quotation marks. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, There's also one that's called the Lowercase L blog that, that signs will often have all capital letters in them except a, one lowercase L, and there's a whole blog dedicated to that. There are a bunch of great blogs like that, just dedicated to one thing. So what kind of blogs do you follow? Oh, I'm, I'm not much of a blog follower, actually. I'm pretty busy producing my own. I wrote two books this year, and there, um, I read podcasting news. I try to keep up with the industry by reading podcasting news, and I um, I look at I have a lot of headlines in my blog reader, but I confess lately I haven't clicked through too much. There's too many. Yeah, and and I there are so many. Good, I, I, a recent one I just discovered that I enjoy is overheard in the newsroom. Oh, yes. It's just very short, uh, hilarious things that sort of highlight the demise of the newsroom. <laughs> But they're also well written. They are well written. You know, the people. Yeah, they're great. They're oh, yeah, they're wonderful. <laughs> All right, now with two books behind you, is there a third coming? I mean, are, are, I mean, how many times do you go to the well? There's a third and a fourth. Um, yeah, I have a, a book for middle school students coming out in summer 2010. So that's um, in editing right now, and that that has more um, more of the the hardcore grammar that people learn in schools. So we talk more about naming the verb tenses and things that, you know, a, a writer at, um, you know, who's writing email for work doesn't really care about the past perfect tense, but kids in school have to learn it. So it has more of that in it and more more work, work, workbook kind of stuff. And then um, there's talk of a, a handbook for college freshmen coming after that. And they're, um, you know, I don't, I don't even know what will be after that, but we're definitely planning more because they're so popular. People seem to want it, and different audiences need things formatted in different ways. So I, have a ma I imagine I'll be writing books for a, a while to come. <laughs> now you can find links to Mignon Fogarty's books and podcast in our show notes or at our website, heardeverything.com. Now you'll also find at HeardEverything.com my interview with someone else who has a very popular podcast, knows a thing or two about it, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Science literacy, I mean, in the era in which we live, the last thing we need is a scientifically illiterate public because there are too many issues, too many problems, too many things you're going to have to vote on. And my interview with someone else who knows a thing or two about a well-chosen word or phrase. My 1998 interview with former Reagan speechwriter Peggy Noonan. Reagan told me a bunch of things that I thought worked for him. 
It was only after I became a speaker that I realized, oh, this works for me. Reagan's first rule of speeches was don't speak longer than 20 minutes. And of course, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. Would you do me a favor? If you liked today's episode, would you tell a friend about Now I've Heard Everything? We love new friends. And thank you for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything. She was told by her TV station employer that she was too old, too ugly, and not deferential to men. They fired her. She sued and won. But there's an asterisk next to that because, well, I'll let her tell you. My 1988 interview with former TV anchor Christine Kraft. Though I'm not a beauty queen, I'm sort of your aging all-American surfer cheerleader type. I don't think that you have to be a model to do the news. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson.